Hey listeners, Adam O'Donnell here. Today we have a great episode with Jennifer Mendoza, founder and general partner at Mendoza Ventures. One of the biggest things I hear from founders is how do you talk about that hard thing that you know VCs aren't going to be excited about hearing and is most likely going to end the conversation. Listen to her perspective on a, an objection that she had with a company that she ended up investing in called Listo. It was storefront because that's where a lot of business happens in the Latino community. VCs are allergic to anything in the real physical world. A warning flag from the moment that we were looking at the company. It was a red flag and yet they still invested. Why? Because the founder had a plan and shared the bigger picture and why they needed to start in storefront and then how they're going to transition. There are still stores open. So if you're in California, there are still stores there. It is now a fully digital product. You're also going to learn about how Cinefer thinks about outreach. She gets about 20 emails a day from founders. Cold outreach is not the right way. She talks about the best way to, to reach out to her and a lot more. It's a great episode. You're going to learn a lot. Boom. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, and I'm on a mission to help founders oversubscribe their next round by learning from top VCs and entrepreneurs. I'm Jennifer Mendoza. I'm a co-founder and general partner at Mendoza Ventures. We are an AI, fintech, and cybersecurity firm based in Boston. Um, we're currently on our fund three. And 80% of our CEOs are underestimated. So we've been saying underestimated instead of underrepresented, but 80% of our CEOs are underestimated. Very cool. And so tell us more about your thesis. We're from New England. So we started the firm ourselves. And when we looked at what we could vet easily, because we're geeks from Boston, AI, FinTech, and cybersecurity was the answer of what we could um, diligence out for pizza or beer when we started. Um, and by fund three, we've really set out to break open the black box of venture capital. So we had two startups and our experience was that your VC essentially wrote you a check and then held you accountable for that check at quarterly board meetings. It's a lot more helpful if that check comes with a cell phone number of someone who can help you on good days and bad. And so we set out to create that. And so because of that, a lot of our LP base is individuals at different tech companies around the U.S., um, especially for Fund2. And then because we set that tone, institutionals have also joined. Foundations or institutions or Carter's and LP and we have set that tone of this check comes with a cell phone number. Our goal is to support the startups as they scale with actionable intelligence cheerleading. I mean, we do that too, but <laughs> we try to be more helpful. Is there any specific trend that you're excited about? Inclusive finance as a trend. I really genuinely hope that that's not going anywhere. There's so many overlooked parts of the U.S. economy, and I'm seeing so many amazing startups trying to bridge those gaps. Um, and if you just have this many smart people working on a problem, you're going to solve it. And then because I'm a New Englander um, and we've all been really excited about climate for a long time, because I think we live the effects of it pretty directly being on the coast. I'm really excited about all the climate tech that's coming out. So, um, I want to hear your perspective on the CB Insights report. They did a Q3 2022 state of venture report. Uh, would love any perspective that you have on this of kind of what, you know, why you think it's been decreasing, where you think it's going, if it's a good time to raise or not for founders. I've seen a lot of slides that look a lot like this one in the past couple weeks, especially. And I think we all, those of us that work in the industry had an inkling that this was what was going on in the market. So I think the interesting thing when I look at this is that not a lot of new startups got money this quarter, and that's not really captured in this data. A lot of this mm. was people doubling down on startups that are already in their portfolio. And the other thing is this dip in funding is not 
equally affecting startups as a whole. So when you look at the 74 billion that was deployed, that includes, I'm going to forget the name of it, but the new Adam Newman company, <laughs> that includes massive amounts of capital going to old repeat founders, and it will not equally affect the earlier seed stage founders or the diverse founders that are out there trying to raise on this market. So when you see a dip in funding like this and risk perception becomes a larger discussion topic in investment committee, then anything that's perceived a risk gets amplified and it becomes harder to raise in environments like this if you personally do not represent that investment committee, which is, you know, other than 6% of women that work in VC or women and minorities that work in VC, largely white and male. And I think that the effects of this dip in funding are not unilaterally felt across the entire mm. startup ecosystem. And I think that that's a conversation that we have to bring to the forefront. Absolutely. I um, wh Where do you think things are going in the next, in Q4, uh, just based on what you're saying? I don't know if I'm ridiculous enough to try and predict what the next quarter looks like in 2022. But... Big, big question, big question. Um, I'm here for it either way. So, um, I've heard a lot of people saying that we're headed for a recession, but I also feel like I've heard a lot of people saying the market's going to rally, which it has been over the past couple of days. Either way, we're going to continue deploying, we're going to continue raising, and the good startups will you know, get their heads down. <laughs> and do the same thing. That's so good. Like basically don't, don't overthink it. Like just keep doing what you're doing. Keep building a good business. Is there a company that you wanted to sh um, talk about uh, that you've recently made an investment in? You reminded me because you're in San Francisco, but one of our companies is in San Jose and Belisto, and they're democratizing financial access to the Latinx community. Um, I talked about bias that obviously plays to our bias. We're the first Latino VC firm on the East coast. There, that market is just so drastically underserved. Seeing a few startups come up in this space and then Sammy Loa, the founder, is just a really genuinely amazing repeat founder. Um, and it's it's a thrill to be part of his team. And then we have other great VCs on the team, um, Roman Leal, and we have Latitude on that cap table. So it's a good group of people pulling together to support a founder. I think Latinos are about 18% of the U.S. population now. And they're ridiculously underbanked. So it's I, I get really passionate about when tech meets the real world. That's when I get stoked. Um, and it is one of those situations where good technology is helping real people with real problems. My concern about it, actually, when Lisa was founded, it was storefronts because that's where a lot of business happens in the Latino community. And so we transitioned to a fully digital project this year. I can say it was an anxiety thing, but I'm the investor, you know, Sam's the one that had to do it. So <laughs> whatever I say, it was harder for him. He did it and now it's off to the races. So that's been a really exciting transition to see. Like how, how soon did you know about that main concern? When we originally diligenced least, I actually went to see one of the stores. We went and saw one to see how it was working and um, what the experience was like, especially my backgrounds in design. So I wanted to see what it felt like to walk into one. And so I think anyone investing in a tech company, as I don't need to tell your audience, VCs are allergic to anything in the real physical world. You know, a, a warning flag from the moment that we were looking at the company. Sam had a plan for it and transitioned. There are still stores open. So if you're in California, there are still stores there. It is now a fully digital product. That's um, that's really cool. So it was, it was they, they obviously were able to make the transition. That was not enough to, to scare you away. 
Um, <laughs> were, were there any other objections that you kind of, that were brought up in the partner meeting um, that were, that were legitimate that you really had to think hard about? It's not like people in global institutions wake up in the morning and decide not to serve a market. You know, there, there are very few really bad people that work in banks. <laughs> it's more like it has happened because of um, conditions and because of mm. regulations and because of processes that have been put in place. And so a lot of our work is with these very boots on the ground fintech companies. And we almost work as like a cultural translator between them and the banks that will end up using them to grow their own business. And so that is always a concern because what if you're building something that someone just doesn't want or what if they're not ready for it? Um, and that process of integration into the existing um, economy is always anxiety inducing. And we knew that that would be tricky for Lisa, but luckily Kuna CMFG Ventures came in and they for the professional development organization for community banks, and they have been an amazing partner on this. And again, it's it's that really nice partnership between a lot of investors that are willing to roll their sleeves up and a great founder who's really focused on execution. And then you can overcome those problems. A fundraising strategies that are really impactful for a founder to do that, that lead to oversubscribing round or just closing that round successfully. Is there any, like, if you had to pick one or two that were most impactful in the top three? Research the firm that you're mm. reaching out to. I get probably whoever sold my email, like I would love to have their address and TP their house, but <laughs> I get about 20 cold emails from fresh founders a day in products of all sorts of different things. And it's, it's just from a volume standpoint, it's at the point now that if it looks anything like a cold email, I delete it because I just don't, I don't have the time to read them all. And it's a distraction from trying to do my job, which is meet founders, but <laughs> there's such an influx on our side of inbound that we get. So really read who you're talking to, or someone asked me on a first call to tell them about our firm. There's enough about our firm on the internet. Now that's not how I want to spend my time. I want to spend my time learning about what they're building and what they're excited about. And if it's a fit, if we can work together, that's the biggest thing is look at who, who you're trying to raise from. Also, if they have deployed to someone like you before. Um, so if you're an underrepresented founder, have they deployed to any underrepresented founder in their history? Um, what does their investment committee look like? What is that process like? All that research that you can do from other founders and most firms put this up on the internet about getting to know them before you go in is massive and will completely differentiate you from the slog of stuff that we get. Mm. That's the first thing. Um, and I think the second thing is just be a human being about it. We have really tight capital constrictions. We have to tell the SEC how we're going to deploy our money. So even if I really, really, really love your candle company, I can't deploy to it because it's not, AI, unless it's like candles for FinTech or something. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. We can't always deploy to your company and we're not all radically independently wealthy, but we could just on an emotional whim, write you a check. So I think unpack um, the dynamic of what you're walking into, know that you're just talking to another human being who's trying to get their job done that day and approach it with that level of calm and it will 
exponentially help your rate. It's really understanding the VC from their perspective. And like, if, if the best founder in the world reach out to you, coldly outreach, you're automatically going to discount them because of the channel that they came in through. But if they came in through a warm referral or some other approach like that, you're going to be like, wow, I consider you on a different level. So it's like knowing how to to speak that language and meet you where you are. Well, and I think also I'm super anxious about the warm referral recommendation. I hate that it works, but it does work. Um, but also we say on our website, fill out this form if you want to be considered for funding. So it's, we have a process for that. And even if you cold email me, I'm going to ask you to fill out the form anyway. I'm sorry that there's a form. I fought against it for five years. We finally had to put one on our website because we're just paying so much. Um, but mm. that's the process. And so even if you cold email me and I respond, I just have to explain the process. <laughs> and, and, and you're saying if they didn't read that then it shows that they're not paying attention to detail and you're just one of many investors that they're blasting. There are lists that founders can buy with VCs emails on them. And also that to me is a warning sign if that's the way that you went in your marketing, because mm -hmm. it was not a, it was not an intentional target. It was a spam and this is not that kind of sell. So that tells me something about their sales process. That's, that's really good. Well, this has been amazing. What is the best way to reach out to you, if, if I do think I'm a qualified company within your thesis, is it, would you suggest that we do actually do the form or would you suggest finding a warm? So mendoza-ventures.com. <laughs> um, their form is there. Please fill it out. I'm also on LinkedIn. I just joined Twitter like last week because the other partners mean me. Um, <laughs> um, so that's, I don't know how professional my Twitter is, but it's up there. Um, and our fellows this semester are actually in charge of our inbound. So you can tackle them. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. I've learned a lot. I know we've hit you. I've hit you with a lot of different random things, but I, I hope it gives a founder a, a perspective of kind of your perspectives on things as well as strategies and why you invest. And why. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is fun. Thank you. Boom. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Top VC Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell. Check out my LinkedIn. Always willing to reach out, connect if you have questions, if you want introductions. There's a lot more than just a podcast. Boom.